Hey, it's Jay, and here's something unthinkable. Albert Einstein once called intuition, not science, not logic, not math, Einstein called intuition our most sacred gift. He also referred to the rational mind in a way that might surprise you, a faithful servant. Intuition is the gift, and the rational mind is a servant of that gift. Einstein also observed that humans were creating a society that honored the servant, but had forgotten the gift. I think that problem is at its all-time worst today. We tend to overvalue the how-to advice, the expert, the guru, the, the stuff that requires a faithful servant. And the reason is because we can find that information everywhere. We can access a world of advice for exactly how to do anything we want in an instant. So if you need an idea or an answer, you can find and follow everyone else's. But here's a secret. So can everyone else. So when you do something a certain way, because some guru said to do that, when you follow the best practice or jump on that latest trend, everybody else is probably doing the exact same thing. And as a result, a lot of our work winds up average. Everybody's doing it. It blends in or it fails to reach its full potential. And at its absolute worst, that kind of work leaves us feeling hollow. It's unfulfilling. So as we talked about last week, as a result of all this, it has never been easier than today to be average. Now, the other thing we talked about is that what binds us all together, you and me and everyone else listening to this show right now, is that we aspire to be exceptional. Now, what can we use to go from average to exceptional? What can we rely on to be greater than the norm? Intuition. We have to start trusting our own intuition. That's what can carry us towards exceptional because that's what makes each and every one of us an exception. And as we heard last time as well, Mike Brown and Deathwish Coffee did some unthinkable things to build an exceptional business. And it wasn't because Mike trusted the experts. In fact, he flew in the face of them in his case. No, he trusted his intuition. So what is intuition? That's what we're exploring today. And that's a tough question to ask, if i got to be completely honest with you. I've been looking into this for, for weeks now, and there are so many interpretations of this concept. Some come from actual psychologists, in other words, actual science. Some come from pop psychology, which is a, a moving target about how accurate it is, some good, some bad. And other definitions come from thinkers and defenders of creative thinking, or you know, maybe that social media influencer that you like to follow. So there's a lot of interpretations about intuition. This is where our journey gets kind of murky. For starters, as you just heard, there's Einstein. He called it our sacred gift. And he went on to say that it's a feeling for the order of things that lies behind the appearance. Okay, let's let's move away from the cult of personality. Let's go towards a a dictionary definition. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines intuition as immediate apprehension. They go on to define it as the power of attaining direct knowledge without rational thought. Okay, so the dictionary has this idea of the speed at which you arrive at an answer and also the ability to get the answer from what? Nowhere. Maybe. I don't know. 
By the way, if you don't know why I used Merriam-Webster's dictionary in particular... Unthinkable. Adjective. Not capable of being grasped by the mind. If you haven't heard that story yet, be sure to go check out that episode called Voices. All right, so that's Einstein and the dictionary. Hard to find two more widely accepted authorities on how to interpret the world, right? But as you can imagine, attempts to understand this idea of intuition don't stop with those two sources. For example, in the best-selling book, Blink, author Malcolm Gladwell likes to talk about rapid cognition. In other words, snap judgments. Now, he has clarified publicly that the reason he wrote about snap judgments wasn't to say whether they're good or bad, but rather to just point out that we have them. He just really wants people to take snap judgments seriously. And here is another definition. Intuition is a subconscious pattern-matching ability. Okay, so if it's not coming from rational thinking, where is it coming from? In this one, the subconscious. That's, that's most of your brain. There's also a pattern matching mentioned here, which I guess means that you're pulling from your past experiences in life. And yes, that's exactly what this person is saying. This person is research psychologist Gary Klein. He says that your life experience contains all kinds of directly and indirectly relevant information, which allows you to very suddenly make a decision without conscious reasoning. Gary wrote the book Seeing What Others Don't. And he's a famous research psychologist because he helped pioneer a field known as naturalistic decision-making, which studies how humans make decisions in complex, real-world scenarios. These scenarios, interestingly enough, sound a lot like work. Real-world scenarios are marked by limited time, uncertainty, high stakes, team and organizational constraints, unstable conditions, and varying amounts of experience. Sounds like... Pretty much every job ever, no? Okay, that's Gary Klein. Another psychologist, Klein's contemporary from Germany, Gerd Gigerenzer, I'm going to mess that up a million times, Gerd Gigerenzer, has a slightly different view. He says that intuition is the ability to instinctively understand which information is important or unimportant in a given situation. So for Gigerenzer, it's less about suddenly knowing the right answers and more about knowing which information to keep and which to throw away on your path to finding those right answers. Continuing our definition extravaganza, we have designer, artist, and doctoral candidate Theo Humphreys. Humphreys wrote an essay recently about intuitive design, calling it understandable without the use of instructions. Next up in this cavalcade of stars defining intuition is Chase Jarvis, Chase is a world-famous photographer, an entrepreneur, and a social media influencer, and he calls your intuition your internal guide. It's the voice that can lead us to the right answers and ideas or the best path forward. So, what is intuition? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm starting to formulate some idea as to how we can ground it not in all this nebulous stuff that you just heard, but in reality. Because none of those definitions were all that satisfying. They, they didn't feel like things I can be proactive about, nor did they feel like things that, that I can control. So using all those definitions and some of the stories that we told over the last year on the show, I want to take a stab with you at defining intuition in the real world. But first, I want you to listen to what Chase Jarvis has to say about not only intuition, but the way people misconstrue it as a sort of 
mythical muse. So Chase and I first spoke about five or six episodes into running this show. So give this a listen, and when it's over, I'll be back, and then we're going to take a stab together at defining intuition once and for all. Sing in me, muse, and through me, tell the story. Of that man skilled in all ways of contending, that wanderer harried for years on end after he plundered the stronghold on the proud height of Troy. Muse, tell me of the man of many wiles, the man who wandered many paths of Tell exile. me, Muse, about the man of many turns, who many ways wandered. Sing to me of the man, Muse, the man of twists and turns, driven time and again off course, once he had plundered the hallowed heights of Troy. These are several different translations of the same opening lines of the Odyssey, the epic poem attributed to Homer. For thousands of years, people have called upon the muse, or any of the various nine muses, to help us be more creative. And that's exactly how many ancient works like the Odyssey open, with the poet invoking the muse as the true storyteller, or at least the spark of creativity. In every case, man is just the vessel. The muse, the divine, is the creative inspiration, the one who, according to some texts, actually holds the key to, quote, the good life. The muse is ancient, undying, and creatively unbounded, while us men and women are small and finite. So we call to her, we agonize over finding her, and we beg for her help and her inspiration brought down from on high by her because it's the muse who allows mere mortals like us to do our creative best. I think that's total crap. This is not a mystery, and it's very much about there being something inside of us, and I'll use that word intuition, that, uh, that when you are in your sort of authentic self, when you are listening to that voice, and when things become, you've all had this, we've all had those moments where life seems so effortless. And if you look at the, the set of conditions that was present then, you were leaning into something. You were doing the things that you wanted to be doing at the time, not something that others told you you had to do. Because in the end, genius is a process, not a product. It's a way of life, not a life. It's clear to me that when you're in the presence of genius, that that genius did not come out fully formed. I think the muse has become an excuse for why we don't ship more and better work. It's not our call. It's not on us. We're just waiting for the muse to strike. The muse is an excuse. It's some kind of external, flighty, and unattainable thing. But today, we learn why that idea is completely and utterly broken. I rely on action to sort of create a muse. This is Chase Jarvis, and when he says he relies on action... That's an understatement. Chase is an award-winning photographer who travels all over the world taking amazing photos of incredible places and famous celebrities and athletes. He's been hired by brands like Apple, Starbucks, and Nike, and he's even interviewed, photographed, and hung out with the likes of Mark Cuban, Serena Williams, Richard Branson, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, Ariana Huffington, Seth Godin, Tim Ferriss, Brene Brown, and Gary Vaynerchuk, just to name some on the list. Oh, and he can also be seen running the world's largest live streaming education company, Creative Live, the company that he co-founded and now leads as CEO. And if you're not already exhausted just from hearing that list, take a listen to his last five days. 
Yeah, so the last five days for me have been very deeply embedded in a, a sort of a top secret project that I've been working on for the past, uh, I would say, several months. Um, specifically, what I've been doing is is literally creating probably between four and six hours a day of a 12 to 15 hour a day. The reality is that a lot of it's been administrative because that's the, the world that we live in these days. But it's been up early, focused with a small, really lightweight team here inside of Creative Live. That has involved editing video. It's involved writing. It's involved me speaking personally. It's involved me doing what you're doing right now, sitting down with people across the table and trying to sort of extract value of information. And I look at all of those things as expressly creative. There's been a fair bit of travel <laughs> as well, which, you know, I guess I, the reason I want to acknowledge that is because these are things that typically people believe get in the way of what it is that, that I stand for as, create, as, as a founder of Creative Live and a lifelong artist. But I want to make sure that the folks at home know that, you know, those are actually also, if you think of them in the right context, they're opportunities to have an hour and a half or two and a half hours by yourself to focus on a project that you might not otherwise carve out time for when you can't be you know beaten up on your your phone or your email or whatever a little bit of private time there so it's been a really it's been a whirlwind the last five days that whirlwind included flying from his home in seattle where creative live is also headquartered to san francisco where they have a second office then it was on to tahoe to shoot a live action sports photo course with red bull then he grabbed the rental car to reno to catch a flight to denver then it was on to dc where he met a bunch of youtube stars at the white house and there, he got to meet Vice President Joe Biden. So, if that idea of the muse, that creative inspiration we all seek, is about your experiences and your perspective on the world, then clearly, few among us experience things quite like Chase. But it's easy to hear all that and think, well, if I got to fly around the world to all these amazing places and amazing scenes to do all these amazing projects and spend time with all these amazing people, I'd be more creative too. But when I asked Chase about that thinking, he said simply, well, that's not how creativity works. The way that we all have been trained to think about creativity is that it's reserved for a few people. It's uh, something that is you're anointed at birth or some, you know, through some magical experience that you had as a child. And just we know that not to be true. To show us what he meant, he shared a story from his childhood. I made my first film uh, around some, I think it was, I was either, I think I was seven, six, seven, um, yeah, somewhere in that, in that neighborhood, maybe eight at the most. For inspiration, he and a few of his friends didn't go traveling the world or meeting celebrities. They were six. They could barely take their bikes up the street alone. Instead, they just did what kids do. They hung out, they goofed off. And in this case, they just watched a movie together, The Son of Zorro. Which is some horrible bee flick somewhere. And then we made our own script called The Sons, which was dramatically different than The Son of Zorro. This is The Sons of Zorro because there was three of us. Um, and we washed cars around the neighborhood and saved up money over the course of about, oh, I don't know, three or four weeks, I think, and uh, used the money that we'd got through, through washing cars and we hired one of our one of the three of us brother paid him i think a dollar or two bucks to film and they basically shot a little two or three minute film and we screened it then we went down to the corner store we bought a bunch of candy and we bought it for 25 cents and we sold it for 50 cents and we put on a production we put on a, a screening for the neighborhood 
sold out show. I think we, you know, it was sold out was probably 25 people. But what we were really doing is we were doing what kids do, which it's very, very natural to lean in and, and to create the entrepreneurship aspect, like selling, char- charging for admissions. That might have been a little bit early for our time. But the point was what we were trying to do is make enough money so that we could make our next film. And the quality of the film is horrendous. But the spirit is gigantic. You can just see it, and it's a it's a it's a brutal <laughs> it's a, it's a brutal thing to watch, but a beautiful thing if you're a parent or you can understand what it's, uh, you have those memories as a kid. Um, super early creativity, and again, the the I think the takeaway is this story is not unique. Everyone who's listening was you know recording things with their friends, you know, underneath the covers at night when you had or in your fort or whatever when you had your friends over and what is it that you can do to reawaken that childlike wonder in you and this is not an impractical device this is you know again creativity it it makes for great scientists it makes for great computer programmers it's not something that's reserved for just a few people so i would encourage you to get in touch with that chase says that the reason we have to try so hard to get back in touch with that feeling that ability to find creative inspiration in the basic stuff is due to a broken system that we all grow up in if you today stand up in front of a uh, a room full of kids and you say all right who wants to come up on the you know up to the front of the room and draw me a picture who who can sing me a little note every kid will raise their hand or 90% of the kids will like ooh, ooh, ooh me 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 so it's critical to understand that this creativity is absolutely innate in us and through conditioning, through negative conditioning and through um, our cultural sort of grindstone, we, we, we tear that out of kids. And because of that grindstone and that system, because we get that pure, unbridled creativity squashed or even destroyed as we grow up, we believe that to be creative We need that big life full of travel and celebrities and all that stuff. Because what should be so simple, the impulse to create, has become so bizarrely difficult. But when you're a kid, even the most mundane, basic thing in the world can inspire a ton of creative action. Like, say, watching a crappy movie at home with your friends. Contrary to popular belief that that uh, exciting or very full life, it often actually gets in the way of creating and at the at, at the end of the day where I get most of my work done is in the quiet. And so whether you have kids, you have a job that you that you work, you know, 10, 10 plus hours a day, it comes down to priorities. And if prioritizing your life doesn't include that thing that actually is what makes us fundamentally human is our ability to create. And again, creativity can mean it just means making something out of nothing or and ideally that thing has value. Then you actually have to put it on your calendar. You have to you have to make it uh, a part of your so to say, daily routine. And in many cases, those folks who have maybe a more constrained environment are actually at an advantage. But what's, what is what is no mystery is that if you don't actually care about it or decide to prioritize it in your life, it's certainly not going to happen because, it, you know, n- no more than just being 10% body fat or landing the salary that you want or whatever, that doesn't happen accidentally. I'm a big believer in intention. But too often, that intention isn't there. Chase says that if we want to start controlling our own personal creativity and be our own muses, so to speak, it has to be something that we prioritize 
and actually schedule. There's so much day-to-day inbound that pollutes our brain and our inbox. Um, and you know, I've been an advocate for a long time of trying to carve out some time for uh, for the things that actually matter in your life. Because if you don't write your own script, someone else will surely write it for you. This might be weird for some people to hear since regiments and calendars are so often countercultural to being, quote, creative. Now, I know lots of you are listening to this from the marketing world or the business world, and so maybe calendars and schedules aren't so scary. But even still, look at your own personal schedule. How much meeting time is on there? How much call time? Now how much time is scheduled specifically to create? I think of it in two ways. One is the one of the reasons that people, I feel like, pay attention to the creative work that I do, the businesses I build, is because I'm good at doing those things. And if I was a good emailer, they wouldn't care about me. <laughs> or if I was a good uh, robot, they wouldn't care so much about paying attention to what it is that I do. So I try and prioritize the things that I feel like I was put on this earth to do and I want to lean into my strengths rather than necessarily try and fix my weaknesses. Um, but the flip side of that is in an ironic twist, I used to resist schedules with all of my might. I felt like it was the man trying to keep me down and that I'm a creative or I'm an, how am I supposed to innovate and, and you know do all this game-changing stuff if I'm, I'm locked into some schedule. And the reality is what, what creating a schedule has done for me over the last, I'd say, five years relative to the previous 10 is I'm way more effective. And notice I'm not saying efficient because efficiency is for robots and machines. Effective is working on the right things. And when you I put things like that on my schedule, the right things get done. And uh, you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you sit down to do a, a task that is sort of something that you do every day, week or whatever. I carve time out for myself to write. I carve time out for myself to take pictures as a sort of a break from a lot of the other things, but it's on my calendar. Seriously, take out your calendar right now. What kinds of things are listed? Reactive work? Mundane tasks? Stuff you got pulled into? Chase says that's no way to push yourself creatively. I put it on par with how important is your personal health, how important it is for you to make. Because remember, there's creativity with that small C, but there's creativity like you're creating your life. And the life is not necessarily one that needs to be sort of full of traveling the world over. But you have to actually take control of the things that matter to you. And so if writing a script for your life is important, then it really deserves, um, I would say, actually a disproportionate amount of time, especially relative to how, how much time most people allocate to that kind of stuff. You know, that part of you that you're trying to develop, that next chapter, is certainly, it's, you're certainly aware of it right now. What can you do to sort of unearth it and uncover it? My guess is that's going to be in the hours where you're not at work or not with your family. And give up the next series of Lost or whatever bullshit television series you're watching. Take that 20 hours of that season and put it toward the thing that you care about. We all have the same amount of time. It's not about our nine to five. It's about asking what we're doing with our five to nine. According to some reports, by the year 2020, 40% of the American workforce will have some kind of side gig. And if you're listening to this and thinking, yeah, but I barely have time for my nine to five and XYZ other things, remember, it's not like you're adding in a brand new project that's fully formed. This is about starting small with small moments of tinkering, with small moments of uh, not thinking about doing stuff, 
but actually doing stuff. And we do have time for that. If you want sort of more creativity, or we can even use the word innovation, if you want more of that in your life, you need to actually cultivate that. And, and it's not something that's out there in the world, it's something that's in there. Whatever made you weird and quirky as a kid, or whatever, you know, when I talk to entrepreneurs, what kind of business should I build? You should scratch your own itch. And, and all of that stuff is very internally motivated, uh, and it comes about through actually reserving time in the same way that you reserve time to say meditate or go to the gym. Um, reserve even just five minutes to do something intentionally creative and that will like literally the science um, is in, indubitable that creativity begets creativity so um, stop looking externally start looking internally and put it on your calendar and you'll be surprised it's gonna it, it permeates your life in a lot of really interesting ways All right, it's modern day me again uh, with my notebook and my, my brain full of ideas for how we might make sense of this whole intuition thing. We're going to try to define it once and for all. First, what did you think of what Chase had to say? Okay, seriously, I have to get this phone checked by IT. I, I, I can't hear a word you're saying. I guess, I guess I'm going to have to be the one to take a stab at it. But, you know, if you ever have thoughts on this, please, please, please email me. I'll give you that at the end of the show. Let's first distill what Chase said into four key things that help us march intuition out of the nebulous and into reality. The four key things that Chase talked about. Number one, self-empowerment. We have this ability as children to just invent and create and always think it's a good idea not only to act, but that the idea itself is good. Whether that's creating a documentary film like Chase and his friends as kids, or saying yes and getting excited when the teacher says who wants to draw on the board. As adults, we start to question that. We start to look, you know, horizontally. Okay, I'm being asked to go up there. What do you think? Or is anyone in the room? You know, could I, well, am I going to be embarrassed? We start to we start to try to actively blend in a lot more. And we, we don't believe in our own power quite the way that we do when we're kids. So that's the first thing I just want to put a pin in when it comes to what Chase said, self-empowerment. The second is prioritization. We always fill our time doing reactive tasks. We do. Email, social feeds, meetings, just mundane, repetitive, robotic stuff. But we never prioritize creative thinking. We rarely prioritize Gap time. We don't put things on our calendars that should be there because they're the most important things. All right, so self-empowerment, prioritization, and the third thing, intention. Intentionality or being proactive. As Chase says, if you don't write your own script, someone else will write it for you. Another way of saying that, if you wait around for some mythical, non-existent muse to strike you with the right answers, it ain't gonna happen. Someone else is going to bowl you over or decide for you what you should do. The last thing, the fourth thing I got from Chase was the idea of internalizing your thought process. What should you build and how? I have no idea. Scratch your own itch. That is what Chase said. The answers aren't out there. They're in here. There's that third party idea of the muse, but that's an excuse. There's all these external experts, but those provide generalities. So those four things, again, self-empowerment, prioritization, proactive work from within. Guess what the root word for intuition in Latin means? It means knowledge from within. The word is intuir, I-N-T-U-I-R. 
knowledge from within, into ear. So it speaks to that fourth point Chase made. Go internal. Find those answers within you. So if intuir means knowledge from within, then what is intuition? Your ability to find knowledge from within. There's self-empowerment there. It's your ability. There's prioritization and intentionality. You have to go proactively find this knowledge. It's not going to come to you. You have to schedule it. You have to go find it. You have to put in the work. And then there's that idea of internalizing, intuir, from within. The ability to find knowledge from within. What I don't understand is why the world seems so content with intuition being something that, that we can't grab hold of. It's both powerful and empowering, and yet people who define it don't describe it as something I can grasp and wield proactively in my life. It's a deity. It's a snap judgment. It's a subconscious process, an instant answer. It's knowledge pulled out from who knows where, arrived at because who knows how. But, but that kind of sucks, doesn't it? I mean, our most powerful asset, Einstein's sacred gift, is something we can't actually control. I mean, that's, that's entirely unsatisfactory to me. You? So I say, let's take control. Us, you, me, not other experts, not your subconsciousness, and definitely not some ancient spirit. Intuition, the ability to find knowledge from within. Why can't that be an actual skill, something we can hone proactively? We can grasp hold of it firmly, like a weapon or a tool, and use it. Intuition, the ability to find knowledge from within. Remember that quote from Einstein about intuition as the sacred gift? Yeah, well, I have something to tell you about that quote. It's in dispute. People are debating right now whether or not Einstein actually said that, or whether it was another author who is interpreting Einstein. Or maybe it was somebody interpreting the author who was interpreting Einstein. It's just a mess. But they're all missing the point. The point isn't to rely on some genius's quip. That's why they want it to be Einstein so badly, so that somebody else can give you the answer. Intuition's important. I'm Einstein, so you can trust me. No. The point is that you should start deciding things. You need to recognize and use that sacred gift. Intuition. The ability to find knowledge from within. In a world full of experts... It's the process of thinking for yourself. So, how do we do that? Are there frameworks we can use, each to arrive at our own conclusions? How do you actually think for yourself predictably, proactively? How do you start trusting your intuition? That's next time on Unthinkable. This episode of Unthinkable was hosted, written, and edited by me, Jay Akunzo, and uh, I have a question for you. Can we schedule a one-on-one -on -one video chat together? I like to do these every month with listeners, where we talk about the show, uh, not only what we're learning, but what we could improve about the show, and, and a whole lot of stuff. And typically, my puppy will find a way to be disruptive and interrupt us. One time, a bee almost stung me, and I squealed like a child in front of this listener who was very kind to talk to me that day. So, so yeah, so fun times abound on these calls. Um, 
If you want to sign up, subscribe at unthinkable.fm. This is only something I offer to my email subscribers. And just look for the form in my next few emails. That's unthinkable.fm to subscribe. You can also work with me. I speak. I produce original series for brands. Uh, I do a lot of stuff. Visit jayacunzo.com to learn more or just email me about that or anything. J at unthinkable.fm. That's the show this week, but I can't stress this enough. Don't just listen to me. Trust your intuition. But more on that next week. In the meantime, here's some space to feel stuff. <laughs>